Welcome to Oncofun. I'm your host, John Bazaar. Uh, it's the end of July, and it's been a busy month for me. Uh, began the month going up to Indiana uh, uh, with my daughters to visit uh, my family. Uh, then a big family trip. The four of us went down to Florida uh, to visit some good friends. Uh, and then I've just returned from Boston for um, the American Academy of Colleges of Pharmacy, or AACP, annual meeting, presenting a little uh, faculty-based or, or college-based research. Uh, so during the month of July, we really have not done a podcast on any updates, so that's what today is about. Uh, but before we do that, thanks for listening. Uh, feel free to find us on iTunes, rate, review, tell us what you like about the podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDetanip and follow the podcast at Pod. So jumping right in here, July 20th, <clears throat> not too long ago, uh, Ivocitinib was approved for adults with relapse and refractory AML, acute myeloid leukemia, with susceptible IDH1 mutation. Now, you probably will know that inositinib was previously approved basically for the same indication except for patients with AML with an actionable IDH2 mutation. So we have now uh, Ivocitinib is the IDH1 inhibitor inositinib the IDH2 inhibitor. And if you get confused, uh, you know, they both end in sitinib. So, uh, you know, you could confuse these, but the IDH1, think Roman numeral uh, 1, which is a, basically the letter I, which begins the drug name ivocidinib. That's how I will remember that going forward. We're to come back and talk about this a little bit more um, because it is a brand new drug uh, approved. So we're going to spend a lot of time on that after I get through the rest of these updates, uh, which are just three more. On July 18th, ribocyclib, uh, its approval was expanded to include pre- and perimenopausal women in the first-line setting uh, of metastatic disease. That is in conjunction with an aromatase inhibitor, which is what the approval alert tells you. What it doesn't say, and what should somewhat be intuitive, is that because the, these are pre-menopausal women, they also need to be taking a, an LHRH or GHRH analog. Uh, in the study they did, Gosserelin. Now this is the first approval of a cyclin DK uh, or CDK4 and 6 inhibitor in the premenopausal setting. Um, the study, which was Mona Lisa 1, was looking at ribocyclob plus endocrine therapy um, and Gosserelin versus just endocrine therapy uh, alone plus Gosserelin. Now, they could have either done an aromatase inhibitor or tamoxifen. Um, the approval is only in conjunction with aromatase inhibitors, which tells you that there was a problem with tamoxifen in the Mona Lisa 7 study. When you look at the median progression-free survival, it was 23.8 months in ribocyclob compared to 13 in the placebo group. There was no differences in efficacy between the aromatase inhibitors or tamoxifen. So it wasn't an efficacy issue, which means it must have been a toxicity issue. And when you look at this, you see that there was greater prolongation of the QT interval and those on ribocyclob and tamoxifen than ribocyclob and NAI. And even there was some QT prolongation alone in the tamoxifen arm. Uh, and the percentages here of patients who had a more than 60 millisecond increase in their QTC interval, 16% with tamoxifen and ribocyclob compared to 7% with ribocyclob and an AI. Uh, so it's almost it's more than a doubling of, of QT prolongation uh, in this setting. And, and that is the reason presumably why the approval uh, is, is limited to the use of ribocyclob plus an AI and gosrel in pre and perimenopausal women. 
Uh, okay, moving on, July 13th. Enzalutamide's indication was expanded for non-metastatic um, castrate-resistant prostate cancer. Uh, you'll recognize enzalutamide, uh, previously approved for metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. This updates the approval in line with apalutamide, which was FDA-approved uh, in the non-metastatic uh, castration-resistant prostate cancer. And the last update I have for you is July 10th, ipilimumab and nivolumab was approved for a specific subset of colorectal cancer patients, those who had previously uh, had progression on fluorouracil or capecitabine, oxaliplatin, irantecan, and had microsatellite instability, a high amount, or a deficiency of mismatch repair. Uh, and this approval was for patients 12 and up, so would include some pediatric patients. So those were the updates we had from the FDA in, in July. There was also a, bio, a new biosimilar approved of filgrastim uh, as well. So let's talk a little bit more about ivocinib. The brand name is Tibsovo, uh, and this is an isocitrate dehydrogenase. That's where IDH comes from. Um, so isocitrate dehydrogenase uh, is, you may remember it uh, if you think back to somewhere in college or pharmacy school when you had to draw the citric acid or Krebs cycle. This is the same isocitrate dehydrogenase of Krebs cycle fame. Uh, what that is supposed to do is, uh, you know, uh, result in, in the, the, you know, it's in the third step and the result of this enzyme is the product to start the fourth step of the Krebs cycle. But an IDH1 and IDH2 mutation change the enzyme activity and it does not produce its normal metabolite, it produces what is being called an oncometabolite, which is R-2-hydroxyglutarate. And what this does is block alpha-ketoglutarate-dependent enzymes, which then leads to epigenetic changes, which leads to impaired hematopoiesis, which means uh, those immature uh, blood cells in the bone marrow do not mature and they stay in the bone marrow and they can cause a little bit of a problem. Now, IDH1 mutations, which ivocidinib would inhibit, and IDH2 mutations, which inacidinib inhibit, occur in 5 to 10% of AMLs respectively. Uh, the, the pivotal study uh, introduction in the Nugledromessin site, 6 to 10% of AML patients would have an IDH1 mutation, and 9 to 13% of AML patients would have an IDH2 mutation. IDH2 mutations are present in other cancers as well, uh, gliomas, cholangiocarcinomas, and chondromas, all of which are difficult to treat cancer. So would not be surprising to see studies uh, investigating these agents in those malignancies as well. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the ivocidinib basics. The dose is 500 milligrams by mouth once a day. And that's going to be two 250 milligram tablets and it can be taken with or without food although somewhat contradictory you can't take it with a high fat meal so there's a little mixed messaging there in the in the label so it's with or without food as long as it's not a high fat meal uh, and that's because a high fat meal will increase the Cmax of ivocidinib by 98% and air to the curve by 25% there are dose reductions in the package insert for differentiation syndrome, uh, non-infectious leukocytosis, which goes along with differentiation syndrome. And the differentiation syndrome is expected. We saw that with inacidinib, and we know that this oncometabolite impairs uh, hematopoiesis, and that blocking that is going to restore hematopoiesis and differentiation, and you can see those white counts shoot up. Also, dose reductions for a QTC above 480, or 500, or stopping the drug if any QTC change 
causes anything, any physiologic harm, such as torsades. Uh, there's also um, a warning about Guillain-Barre syndrome, and if a patient develops Guillain-Barre syndrome while on ivocidinib, the drug should be discontinued. That happened in less than 1% of patients in, the stu in uh, early studies, two patients out of 258 studied so far. And there are also dose reductions for 3A4 inhibitors, strong 3A4 inhibitors. And as you would guess, as all of these oral small molecule inhibitors, ivocidinib is a 3A4 substrate. Uh, to the tune that taking the taking ivocidinib with itraconazole increases area under the curve or total drug exposure of 269%, so more than twofold, almost threefold increase in exposure. Uh, interestingly, ivocidinib is also a 3A4 inducer, um, so it's not suggested to be given with other 3A4 substrates. Although if it is, it needs to be the, the other drug needs to be monitored for loss of activity, and it may induce 2C9. So as is a common complaint of mine. Uh, not a, it's not a complaint because it's good to have these drugs on the market if there's benefit to patients, and we'll see that there are patients who benefit from this drug. Uh, but as an oncology pharmacist, I'm frustrated that I don't always have the data that, uh, that I think I need to help manage patients who may have drug interactions. We don't know if it's a 2C9 inhibitor. It may be a 2C9 inhibitor. Okay, what do I do with that? Well, if they're on warfarin, I can monitor INR. It's easy enough. But if it's another 2C9 substrate, I can't always monitor a lab value to know if uh, we're losing the activity of that drug. Now the package insert is very clear that ivocidinib is quote I'm quoted here practically insoluble at pH values of 1.2 to 7.4. Is so it's, it's insoluble, right? Physio physiologically. Uh, however, the package insert also clearly states that gastric acid suppressants like it and acids, H2 blockers, PPIs do not affect concentrations of ivocidinib. So that's a drug interaction that we're told we don't have to worry about from the FDA label. Uh, the most common adverse drug events or side effects of this drug are, you could probably predict these knowing this is a small molecule inhibitor. Diarrhea in about a third, arthralgia in about a third, rash in a quarter of patients, and edema in about a third. Uh, the most common serious side effects, so these are grade three and above side effects. So the type of side effects that might lead someone to hospitalization or serious intervention would be differentiation syndrome in 13% and EKG um, or Q EKG changes or QT prolongation in 10%. Uh, the pivotal study that got this drug approved was published in the New England Journal of Medicine by DiNardo and colleagues on June 2nd of 2018. Uh, and they found that in about 125 patients that they could evaluate for response, that 30% had a complete response or complete response with incomplete hematologic recovery. So what that means is, uh, say, a complete response, no sign of AML. Complete response with incomplete hematologic recovery means no sign of AML, but the platelet count is still below 100. It's probably the most common scenario. Maybe the maybe their hemoglobin's still low, uh, or their white count is still low. Uh, the median duration of response was 8.2 months, and the 95% confidence interval there is 5.5 to 12 months. So all of these patients are it looks like are going to progress eventually. Uh, those who have response, the overall response rate was 40%. 30% of those were complete responses or complete response with incomplete uh, recovery of their counts. Um, and 35% of patients were able to become transfusion independent. Um, so this drug seems to be like a lot of tyrosine kinase inhibitors that we've seen bef come before it. The drug works in the people who have the mutation. It works really well in some of them for a finite period of time before resistance develops. And that may be what happens here. So what's the value of that 
in relapsed refractory AML. Well, one value would be, could this drug be a bridge to transplant? If you look at the age of the patients in these studies, the median age was 67, and those are probably not patients going to be candidates for uh, an allogeneic stem cell transplant. Uh, probably. Some of them may very well be able to. And there were some younger patients in the study. There were patients as young as 18 on this study. Um, but I think that there's value in an elderly patient um, knowing that they could take this drug as opposed to taking, say, a hypomethylating agent or something like that uh, and taking something oral and taking it at home. Uh, according to the press releases, when the drug was approved, it's going to cost $26,000 a month, which is too high. Um, so patients are going to have some financial toxicity potentially um, for the, the benefit that they would derive from this drug. So that's ivocitinib. Uh, it's always good to have more drugs in our armamentarium in fighting cancer. So uh, excited to see more uh, approvals uh, to come in the future. And as you know, if and when they happen, we'll talk about them here on Oncofarm. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, as always, I hope to see you all a little further down the road. Thank you.